Greetings, friends. I'm so glad you're here. It's November 20th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where each day we read subsequent portions of both the Old and New Testaments until by the end of the year we will have completed all 66 books of the Bible, having taken in from divine viewpoint the history of human redemption that culminates in the perfect work of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and we are going to be reading in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and the book of James in the New Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, we are looking at temple number six out of seven of God's temples in the Bible. As God revealed important aspects of his redemptive work in the previous temples, he will once again do the same. So we begin in chapter 40 of the book of Ezekiel, starting with verse 28. Then he brought me to the inner court through the south gate, and he measured the south gate. It was of the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibule were of the same size as the others, and both it and its vestibule had windows all around. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits. And there were vestibules all around, twenty-five cubits long and five cubits broad. Its vestibule faced the outer court, and palm trees were on its jams, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the inner court on the east side, and he measured the gate. It was of the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibule were of the same size as the others, and both it and its vestibule had windows all around. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits. Its vestibule faced the outer court, and it had palm trees on its jams on either side, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gate, and he measured it. It had the same size as the others. Its side rooms, its jams, and its vestibule were of the same size as the others, and it had windows all around. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth twenty-five cubits. Its vestibule faced the outer court, and it had palm trees on its jams, on either side, and its stairway had eight steps. There was a chamber with its door in the vestibule of the gate, where the burnt offering was to be washed. And in the vestibule of the gate were two tables on either side, on which the burnt offering and the sin offering and the guilt offering were to be slaughtered. And off to the side, on the outside as one goes up to the entrance of the north gate, were two tables, and off to the other side of the vestibule of the gate were two tables. Four tables were on either side of the gate, eight tables on which to slaughter. And there were four tables of hewn stone for the burnt offering, a cubit and a half long, and a cubit and a half broad, and one cubit high, on which the instruments were to be laid, with which the burnt offerings and the sacrifices were slaughtered. And hooks, a handbreadth long, were fastened all around within, and on the tables the flesh of the offering was to be laid. On the outside of the inner gateway there were two chambers in the inner court, one at the side of the north gate facing south, the other at the side of the south gate facing north. And he said to me, This chamber that faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple, and the chamber that faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, 
who alone among the sons of Levi may come near to the Lord to minister to him. And he measured the court, a hundred cubits long and a hundred cubits broad, a square, and the altar was in front of the temple, the vestibule of the temple. Then he brought me to the vestibule of the temple and measured the gems of the vestibule, five cubits on either side, and the breadth of the gate was fourteen cubits, and the side walls of the gate were three cubits on either side. The length of the vestibule was twenty cubits, and the breadth twelve cubits, and people would go up to it by ten steps. And there were pillars beside the jams, one on either side. Chapter 41. The Inner Temple. Then he brought me to the nave and measured the jams. On each side six cubits was the breadth of the jams, and the breadth of the entrance was ten cubits, and the side walls of the entrance were five cubits on either side, and he measured the length of the nave forty cubits, and its breadth twenty cubits. Then he went into the inner room and measured the jams of the entrance two cubits, and the entrance six cubits, and the side walls on either side of the entrance seven cubits. And he measured the length of the room twenty cubits, and its breadth twenty cubits across the nave. And he said to me, This is the most holy place. Then he measured the wall of the temple six cubits thick, and the breadth of the side chambers four cubits all around the temple. And the side chambers were in three stories, one over another, thirty in each story. There were offsets all around the wall of the temple to serve as supports for the side chambers, so that they should not be supported by the wall of the temple. And it became broader as it wound upward to the side chambers, because the temple was enclosed upward all around the temple. Thus the temple had a broad area upward, and so one went up from the lowest story to the top story through the middle story. I saw also that the temple had a raised platform all around. The foundations of the side chambers measured a full reed of six long cubits. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits. The free space between the side chambers of the temple and the other chambers was a breadth of twenty cubits all around the temple on every side. And the doors of the side chambers opened on the free space, one door toward the north and another door toward the south, and the breadth of the free space was five cubits all around. The building that was facing the separate yard on the west side was seventy cubits broad, and the wall of the building was five cubits thick all around, and its length ninety cubits. Then he measured the temple, a hundred cubits long, and the yard and the building with its walls a hundred cubits long, also the breadth of the east front of the temple and the yard, a hundred cubits. Then he measured the length of the building facing the yard that was at the back and its galleries on either side, a hundred cubits. The inside of the nave and the vestibules of the court, the thresholds and the narrow windows and the galleries all around the three of them, opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood all around, from the floor up to the windows. Now the windows were covered to the space above the door, even to the inner room, and on the outside. And on all the walls all around, inside and outside, was a measured pattern. It was carved of cherubim and palm trees, a palm tree between cherub and cherub, 
Every cherub had two faces, a human face toward the palm tree on the one side and the face of a young lion toward the palm tree on the other side. They were carved on the whole temple all around. From the floor to above the door, cherubim and palm trees were carved, similarly the wall of the nave. The doorposts of the nave were squared, and in front of the holy place was something resembling an altar of wood, three cubits high, two cubits long, and two cubits broad. Its corners, its base, and its walls were of wood. He said to me, This is the table that is before the Lord. The nave and the holy place had each a double door. The double doors had two leaves apiece, two swinging leaves for each door. And on the doors of the nave were carved cherubim and palm trees, such as were carved on the walls. And there was a canopy of wood in front of the vestibule outside. And there were narrow windows and palm trees on either side, on the side walls of the vestibule, the side chambers of the temple, and the canopies. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage today from the book of Ezekiel. Here in chapter 40, we have the description of the temple as Ezekiel saw it. He is instructed to declare what he sees to the house of Israel. In chapter 41, he describes the temple structure and the ornamentation. The tabernacle in the wilderness was a visible sign of the terms of the Mosaic Covenant. The law outlined the demands of righteousness. The tabernacle outlined how the demands of righteousness would be fulfilled through the finished work of redemption. All the ordinances and sacrifices of the tabernacle foreshadowed the once and for all perfect sacrifice of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. It was a portable sanctuary that traveled with God's people through the wilderness. The temple, however, was a more permanent sanctuary, built on the same pattern as the tabernacle in the wilderness, foreshadowing God's desire to establish His kingdom and make His presence dwell permanently on the earth. There are seven temples of God in the Scripture. Number one, Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapters 6 through 8. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 587 and 586 BC. Number two, there was Zerubbabel's temple in Ezra chapters 3 verses 1 through 8, chapter 4 verses 1 through 14. This is the temple that was built when the exiles returned. The foundation was laid in 535 B.C. and the temple dedicated in 516 B.C. Number three, there was Herod's temple. Zerubbabel's temple was refurbished and enlarged after Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated it in 169 B.C. Number four, there's the present temple. The present temple is the life of a believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, and the local churches in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Number 5, the temple of Revelation. That is the tribulation temple. This is a temple that is in existence during the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, known as the Great Tribulation. Number 6, Ezekiel's Millennial Temple. Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 likely refers to a future temple to be built in Jerusalem during the millennium for Israel's use in worship, commemorating the new covenant with Messiah. And number seven, the eternal temple. John records that God himself will dwell with his people. He will be the temple of the new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3 and verse 22. 
As you read the description, you will notice the enlarged size and the perfect symmetry. There are three gates that lead to a large outer courtyard that surrounded the temple sanctuary on three sides, north, east, and south. There were three gates into the courtyard. The gates had posts with ornamental tops shaped like palm trees, which are symbols of the national life coming to full bloom with strength and glory. The outer court is called the court of the women, and the inner court, the middle court, is where Ezekiel would receive the visions of chapters 43 through 46. There are sacrifice preparation rooms and preparation or slaughter tables. There were eight at every gate, four on each side. Then there was the temple sanctuary accessible by a flight of stairs. The temple sanctuary had three divisions. Number one, a porch. Number two, an outer sanctuary, the holy place. And number three, an inner sanctuary, the holiest of all. Careful measurements are made. The outer court was twenty cubits wide by forty cubits long. The inner sanctuary was twenty cubits by twenty cubits. Both the outer and inner sanctuary structures had the same floor size dimensions as in Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 20. The full temple size was 100 cubits by 100 cubits. The ornamentation is worth noting. The cherubim, the living creatures that were pictured upholding the expanse that upheld the throne in the earlier visions, are pictured here again, but now they are depicted with two heads rather than four each one looking to the carved ornaments on the right and left sides of engraved palm trees, representing the completed nation of Israel. Now let's move on to the New Testament reading for today in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Warning Against Worldliness What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist 
that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion from the book of James. This epistle reminds us of practical truths of authentic Christianity. Christianity is about the supernatural relationship that Jesus Christ has made possible, friendship with God. When you are a friend of God and living as such, your heart is satisfied and no longer covetous. Therefore, you are free from the discord and quarrels that stem from the self-centered heart. When you are a friend of God and living as such, you recognize that the world is an enemy of God and you dismiss its ungodly influences accordingly. God has given us a way to appropriate the victory of the cross. We are to live in moment-by-moment fellowship, drawing near to God by, number one, submitting to His Word, number two, resisting the devil, number three, cleansing our hands by letting go of sin, number four, purifying our hearts by delighting in the Lord, and number five, mourning any condition that resists the rule of God, and number six, by humbling ourselves in the presence of the Lord. None of us can bring a final verdict in judging a brother or sister. James reminds us that our final appeal is to the one who is both lawgiver and judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? James chapter 4, verse 12. We should not boast as if we ourselves were the all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere-present sovereign God. Recognize your limitations as creatures and His glory as Creator and Redeemer. We can easily be deceived by measuring ourselves incorrectly, as if our deeds earn us some merit before God. James reminds us that if we are going to measure ourselves by the law, our sins of omission surely disqualify us from any right to boasting. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. James chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And now we go to the book of Psalms, and we will pick up reading Psalm 118, starting with the 19th verse, and we will read 10 more verses to verse 29. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. 
This psalm fits the Hallel for the triumphal procession. How wonderfully it speaks of the Messiah. The gates of righteousness open only to him, the Lord our righteousness. Psalm 118 verses 19 through 21. He is the one who brings the day of salvation. But first he must be rejected by the builders. They will crucify him. But God will raise him and make him head of the corner. In verses 22 through 24. The people cry, Lord, do save. Hosanna. In verse 25. He is the one foretold by the prophets. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 26. He has given his body to be bound with cords of love as a festal sacrifice, to pay our ransom, provide our pardon, that we might receive his life, and his life is the light of men. And now we go to our final stop in our Bible reading tour to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, verses 3 through 5. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. The first line of this set of Proverbs speaks of the devastating effect of a poor man who oppresses others. The lawless usually choose lawless people as their heroes, while the righteous will recognize the folly of those who forsake God's law. The natural man has a skewed sense of justice, but someone who walks with an appetite to read and obey the word of God will be given understanding. Let's pray in the light of God's word. Heavenly Father, you have made yourself known to us through your Son, the living word. He speaks to us of your great mercy. He demonstrates your great love by coming to our rescue. As you have spelt out your terms of redemption in the law and the tabernacle, we can appreciate how the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. He who was born under the law fulfilled the law on our behalf. By his perfect atoning sacrifice, he redeemed us from the curse of the law in order that we might be forgiven and adopted into your forever family. Help us to walk worthy of this great calling today. In Jesus' name, Amen. I hope you appreciate the time that we have together as we read through the Word of God, some of the more intricate and complicated chapters, no doubt. But as we know, all Scripture is profitable and it's for our benefit. If you have any comments or questions we'd love to hear from you, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to get a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. And there you can learn more about our ministries and ways that you can be a partner in our outreach. So until we meet again tomorrow, God willing, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom. Shalom.